0: Welcome to episode 75 of the Business Breakthrough Podcast. I have brought a very interesting guest for us today, Sean Finder. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Estee. I look forward to, uh, to talking to your audience.
0: I am excited to have you here and have you talk to them. So guys, a little bit more to know about Sean. He has always been an entrepreneur at heart. Um, At age 24, he entered the entrepreneurial world after competing as one of Canada's top-ranked tennis players. Told you he was interesting. He started out importing (laughs) packaging from the Orient and selling to top retailers in North America. However, knowing he always loved selling and list building, he founded Exchange Leads in 2013, which helps his company build quarterly lists. For outreaching New Prospects. This is something we're definitely going to talk about. Um, and this was followed by his new venture, AutoClose, which is spelled with a K in close, in 2017 that combines both the sales engagement and the list building in an all-in-one platform. So I like so many things about this. I like like the sports to business. I like the list building. I like the tech elements. Ah, so many fun things to talk about. So can we just like start with like tennis player to MBA? Like what...
1: Okay, so so, um, I played tennis my whole life. Um, I was uh, world ranked playing in the same tennis terms as Roger Federer and all the the main guys. They're all my age right now, so a lot of them are still playing. Um, And kind of it was one of those sports where at age 18, you have to make a decision. Do you want to try and be a professional tennis player? Or as some parents pushed me to, to go the educational route. Um, I went to go the educational route, so I ended up getting my MBA. uh, But still teaching tennis on the side because it's still been a part of my life. Um, and then did my MBA, um, I went that route, the education route, and, um, and I guess took away my tennis career in the hopes of being the number one tennis player in the world. So one second, I'm confused. At what age did you leave tennis, at 18? So at 18, I stopped playing competitively, um, okay. and then I taught it for about eight years after that. Um, so it'd be like a summer thing, and I teach the national team here in Canada, uh-huh. uh, but I stopped playing competitively at 18 and and really stopped playing about 26.
0: Okay. Got it. And so you've been in business now for quite a few years.
1: Yeah. So I, you know, I started my first business actually um, while I was in um, university doing my MBA. And then what happened was I got an MBA in finance, funny enough, uh, worked at some of the largest banks here in Canada. And, but I was always an entrepreneur. So you know, playing tennis, playing a sport, was always networking and always you know, talking to people 25 years older than me. Um, so finance was not really the route I wanted to go. And then I got an opportunity um, in sales, and then slowly, uh, well, as running a sales company, um, I built my own sales platform. Very interesting. Okay, so there's <laughs> so much
0: to unpack there, right? Yes, like, there is a finance, sales, building your own platform. There's like a lot of gaps in there. Um, so I get, I get the tenants that you left, you went to do education, um, although being nationally ranked at age 18 sounds pretty cool. And, and what was it? You just decided, like, I don't want to be a sports star. I just want to do different. Like, what was it that – was it like, you know, I don't know if I'll ever be the best? Was it like, I don't care if I'll ever be the best? Like, what was that? Because I feel like in the minds of an 18-year-old, it's a really tough decision to choose your life route.
1: Yeah, and that's a great question. Um, one thing was, um, you know, I kind of my, – my mom actually sat me down and said, Sean, listen, you know, you could try and go the, the, the tennis route. But remember, one injury, one back injury, and I was always injury prone, you know, one thing goes wrong, you know, you're going to probably have to be a tennis coach, because that's all you're going to ever know is playing tennis and teaching tennis. Or you can go the education route and get an MBA and do something with your life. Um, And at this point, when I was, you know, when I was in my 20s, there was only one tennis player that actually ever made a living off tennis. Now we've got a few tennis players that are really good. But back then, we didn't have it. So, it was like, you know what, I have a, probably one in hundreds and millions of chance that I'll actually become a pro and make a living off it. Um, and obviously some influence from my mother. Um, and that's why I went the education route, got my MBA and, um, and started uh, working at the banks.
0: Okay, and the banks weren't for you. So I, I'm also curious, I, I hear that banks don't include networking. How does tennis include
1: networking? That's an amazing question. So after I stopped playing competitively, I taught tennis for eight years and I taught it in an area in Toronto where a lot of the Toronto Maple Leafs, the hockey players, and a lot of people that worked at the banks, actually every job I've ever gotten before I started my own was through tennis. So a lot of the people I would teach tennis to would be CEOs of companies. And, you know, you'd, I'd be 18, 19, 20, but teaching people that are in their 40s and fifties. So you had to know how to talk to people literally twice my age um, at a young age, which I think nowadays really makes me into the person I am. And, um, by being able to, at a young age, just network with kind of everybody and trying to get more tennis lessons, build the academy, et cetera.
0: That's very cool, that's an amazing, that's why I love hearing people's journey and their story because you see people at the end of it and you're like, wow, but things like that, those little things, those make such a huge difference because so many people go, again, whether it's from sports or, or any you know, initial um, direction, even going through business school, they don't teach those kinds of skills and those are the soft skills that are so important to being successful in a business without having to spend bombs of money or waste bombs of money um and so that that i think is so key
1: yeah and i think you just said it it's funny enough people always ask me you know is an mba worth it for example and i think an mba to me is was, it was three letters i learned skills but you don't you don't learn the networking aspect like you just mentioned or you know real world situations in a business you don't you can't teach that in school you're going to do that by kind of getting thrown in the ocean and sink or swim so that's kind of um, the a mentality
0: I had. I have a whole rant on academia because academia feeds itself, right? You can't yeah. teach in an MBA program unless you have a PhD. You can't teach in a bachelor's program unless you have your master's. Um, and so, if you're a real world business owner, and fair enough, I am personally biased because I wasn't allowed to teach entrepreneurship in university because I dropped out of my MBA program and I never finished it because um, I wanted to make money instead. Yeah. Um, and so, I'm only, so I teach entrepreneurship in the high schools because I can't teaching in the colleges, oh. but all the people like me who have been out in the world and building businesses and didn't go through all the schooling for it, academia is like, we don't want you. Yeah. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want you to teach what happens in the real world. We want to teach all the stuff that other people taught our other people who teach the other people so they can teach the other people.
1: <laughs> exactly. No, I'm, I'm totally with you on that.
0: <laughs> and it's just uh, my personal rant. No, it comes also from um, one of my clients hired a, a social media marketer. Yep. So we do we do um business consulting and, and full creative suite. And so sometimes we do the social media implementation for clients. My I always encourage my clients to to be independent wherever that at the right place. Um I, I don't want to be needed, I don't need to be needed. And so he hired the social media manager who was a fresh graduate from a top university in California, and she had a degree in social media management. And I have to say, like I was intimidated, right? Because I graduated I'm not that old, but way before. Any like Facebook was being born, okay? When yeah. I finished university, like none of this stuff was out. And I'm like, you know, I've I've learned everything pretty much on my own from trying it, from poking it, from building it. And it's been successful. But like, here comes this graduate. So we come into this meeting and you know, and I start, you know, asking her questions. Okay, and what about this thing? What about that? And she's like, Oh, they didn't teach us that. Oh, I don't really know how that works. Oh, oh, really? Oh, that's so interesting. And I'm like, Are you kidding? You I could teach you more in one hour than you just spend tens of thousands of dollars on four years. Are you joking?
1: It's it's so funny you mention that. Like, and I shouldn't. So I actually I've been reaching out to my my university, my I did my MBA, and trying to hire some interns to you know give back to my school and stuff. And it's like I'm looking at some of the resumes. I'm like, did I not know any of this when I was doing my MBA? <laughs> I'm like, uh, did I have not have any experience? Because like it's it's almost like you you can't. I could teach them and probably and train them in two weeks, but there it's all like it's all scripted. It's all like. Um, you're not you're not learning real. For example, marketing. I was looking for a marketing intern. You're not learning people with real marketing experience that have done social media or or you know learned how to inbound marketing or what kind of SEO tactics you can do. Uh, it's it, I looked at the resumes like. I don't know what to say. I don't think I can hire an intern for my own BA school.
0: <laughs> like, Yeah, you guys are going to take way too much effort for me to teach. I know. It's tough. It's a tough world, guys. But there is no comparison for experience. And, and I would advise any student to be, to be having real experience at the same time because it's just the nature of the beast is school doesn't hand it to you. Oh, this is a rabbit hole. We could go down for a really long time. All right. I'm going to pull this out. Um, so you went into finance, which again, yep. those layering of skills, right? So layering the social and the networking skill and then layering of financial skill. And then you
1: landed in sales. How did you land in sales from banking? Was it through the banking industry or was it totally different? It's actually, that's a great question. So um, I will say this, going doing my MBA in finance and starting in finance was probably one of the best things for me as an entrepreneur, because if you can't read a balance sheet or ring an income statement, it's going to be really tough to run a business and a successful. And so what happened Only was, if you got, want money? If you don't want money, you'll
0: be fine. <laughs> exactly. but if you want money, yeah.
1: So, I actually to tell you my second week on my last co op during my MBA, I was working at one of the banks here and I was on the elevator.
0: What's
1: a co op? A, a co op was, like, um, was basically you do four months school, four months work. Four months school, four oh, months. Oh, so it's like,
0: almost like a business internship, but like exactly. business placed it for co op
1: in Canada. <laughs> got it. Okay. So, so I was in my last work term, I guess you could say from MBA. And I was on the elevator and my boss was there. And I said, good morning to my boss. And you look in the elevator, everyone just looks at the computer screen or the TV screen at the top of the elevator. Nobody says good morning. And i like, good morning, Bill. And Bill looks at me like, like, it was almost like you don't say hello when you're working in finance. And I've always been such a social person. So what I did was I actually reached out to a recruiter and said, you know what? Um, you know, I'm not happy with the position right now. Can you like, find another job? And I went in for a finance role to one of the top recruiters in here in Toronto. And he looked at me and we were talking, just having a, we actually were having a beer. He's like, like, I have a company that's looking, he's looking for a VP of sales. It's not in finance. We don't, we don't recruit for, for sales, but I think you're the perfect person. And I actually ended up interviewing with a CEO who flew in from New York and I got a VP of sales role right out of my MBA and oh, my wow. finance firm. And that's how I got transitioned from finance to sales. And then a week into that position, I actually came up with my idea of my first business where I started to do and started to work on while I was working as VP of sales for a computer software company here in Toronto.
0: Got it. And that's how we start getting into the software and the tech.
1: So that's how I meet my CTO at the time and um, figure out how I'm going to build a software that was an idea. And I was always a sales marketing guy and he was the introvert tech guy. And um, we had the best of both worlds and that's how I came up with the idea. It was actually... my first week on my new job as a VP of sales, I found something that I think we can do better and we started building it.
0: Wow, very cool. So how long until you, like? did you do it on the side while you stayed working or like how long till you left and were like, okay, forget it, Like, I'm just gonna do this
1: myself better? Great question. So the first thing I did was I had the idea and I found someone to develop it um, out in Eastern Europe. So it was a little bit cheaper than paying someone in North America. And I would take my salary and I would pay for this person to develop my idea. Um, And I said to myself from day one, you know, at that point I was making six figures at a sales job. And I said, when I make my first sale, I don't care what it is. I'm going to take the leap and become an entrepreneur. And about a year later, I'm saving some money. And at that job, I made my first deal and it was worth $49. (laughs) And at $49, I took the leap and started my own business. Now, hence, I will tell the audience, I did save up that I can afford rent and everything in Toronto for four months while I was working that whole year. But I did leave as soon as I hit that first sale um, for $49.
0: That's pretty cool. Okay, so talk to me about this list building because this is so, again, for me as a marketer, I love all these kinds of things and I think there's a lot of confusion around the online list building and list purchasing and yep. spamming rules and all of that. So so tell us about the idea itself. What did you
1: sell for $49? What's the service? What does it do? Okay, so first business I did was, the, it was called Exchange? it was a data service. So what I did was I looked at Jigsaw, um, which was an old company that got acquired by, by Salesforce. And what they did was, it was more of a crowdsourced data company, so therefore you had marketers all over the world who had data. They would be able to upload the data, any clean data they provided, the pool, they would get credits to download new data. So say you uploaded 1,000, you got 500 credits, now your 1,000 turns into 1,500 because I'm giving you 500 credits. And that's how we've started building the list.
0: One second, how did they qualify it? And hold on, just for our listeners, we have to break this down. So when we're talking data, we're talking information about people.
1: Yeah,
0: business to business it was originally, right. yes. Right, business um, information. So it would be, but it, would it be people within the business? Like what, what were the qualifications and
1: how was the data qualified to know if it was clean? Great question. So there would be a minimum of 11 fields that any marketer would need. I mean, marketers want to call, email, and still sometimes direct mail. Right? So it had to have you know, the, the first name, last name, um, the full address so you can make direct mail, emails for email marketing, um, you know, co- numbers for cold calling. So there was 11 fields that your data had to have or else it wouldn't take it. And as long as you had those 11 fields, we would then validate the emails by you know, our own little machine plus pinging the servers and different things we did. And we would find out if that person was still at that organization and if they were. You get a credit to download new contacts from our database. How would you
0: find out if they were still at that organization?
1: We would do we ping the servers to see if the email would go through. So we wouldn't actually send the email. It, it just test it if it would. Yeah. Exactly, but we also had a team in Eastern Europe that would actually look on LinkedIn and see what their current position was.
0: Nice. So manual plus tech.
1: Love exactly. it.
0: Okay. And I, and I love just for all the listeners who like don't realize you know, that they're literally a commodity being traded, even though I blast them about it every day um, that Google owns you and Facebook owns you. And now every random person that has your name, phone, address, email, and company title owns you and sells you or trades you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they, they does not, you know, when I started that company about four or five years ago. Data was actually a little different than it is today. But yeah, uh, today
0: you got data privacy, which I definitely want to go into and like how yeah. that falls into this industry. But yeah, then it really wasn't a big deal. And, and the truth is, even now, you know, I always tell my people if they're not adept, Google yourself incognito. Look yep. at what the internet has to say about it. People are sometimes shocked. It'll show their, their home address, some like person, like some very personal information that's very, very public. Like not everyone, guys, all of you listening, Google yourself incognito. incognito so that it doesn't give you any biased results see what the internet has to say about all your private stuff that's just sitting there for the taking from anybody no footwork so but what made yours better than jigsaw because jigsaw apparently already existed to do this trade Yeah.
1: so, so jigsaw was acquired by salesforce and the only thing i found when i was the vp of sales when i started that first company in the first few weeks was we purchased data from people and the bounce rate was high the information was inaccurate and i'm like like i'm like there's companies that are I'm not gonna say the company, the company's worth billions of dollars. And the data quality is very poor. I'd rather provide quality over quantity, so we focus more on giving giving the users less of a quantity. So instead of having fifty million contacts, we'd have ten, but the ten would all be accurate. Um so I found a big thing in the industry was you know bad data and I thought, well, if if they can't solve it, I would rather solve it, and that's what we tried to do was solve the-, the I hear. and you did issue. it
0: better because you had a team in Eastern Europe who would go and validate each one manually by checking out their profiles. I love it. And so the marketers are coming. They're providing you with all the information. Again, there's no money changing hands there. They're giving, they're getting, they're all trading, and then you're selling this to other people.
1: Yeah, so people could sign up for subscription. It was you know, nine dollars was the smallest when we started. We raised the prices, obviously. You get a certain amount of contacts, but- Our pool would continue to grow as people all over the world are uploading more contacts and we're validating. We go from 500,000 to a million to 2 million to 3 million. And every day there's new contacts being added that are all valid. So that's kind of, it was almost a crowdsourced way of keeping our data clean.
0: Very cool. But you're still doing, you're funding all the validation. Meaning you're not having, the validation is not crowdsourced. It's not other people doing it. It's your paid team and again, you're a t- paid tech and you're a paid team in East Europe that's validating each one that comes through.
1: Yeah, so we would ping the servers. And if we, you know, there's three things when you when you have a data. One is that the data is valid. The second one is invalid. And the third one's called a catch-all. Now, a catch-all means it's valid or invalid. Therefore, it could be, for example, you know, Sean at Autoclose.com, which is my email. Um, if I got fired somehow, I don't know how, but if I got fired <laughs> and I left the organization, but now we're sending Sean's email and forwarding it to Bill... Mm-hmm. The email still exists, but Sean no longer works the company. So those are the ones that we would send to the data team to see if those people still work at the company.
0: I hear. Meaning if it pings and it goes through and it says that this is valid, we assume that it's accurate. Exactly. And how do we know if the mailing address is accurate? Like, are we just trusting the person if they have the right name and email or just a correct email?
1: So mailing is a little bit tougher, but you know, the thing with mailing is organizations don't move too, too often. Like people, like people are changing jobs all the time. But how often like for example are people changing um company locations um not as often
0: business addresses
1: everything's sorry everything is only we only deal b2b so we have nothing consumer everything's business business.
0: got it so these are only business addresses and business emails and phone numbers that makes sense that makes sense and i think guys for all of you out there um services like sean's exist all over people are just like how do i get leads well one way is to buy them, <laughs> or to <Yeah>. trade them. <laughs> Take a couple of your your friends and neighbors' businesses and storefronts. Go upload them. <laughs> go download a couple of leads, and then swap again.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, there's, you know, that's the outbound. There also is obviously you as a, you would be the expert in. There's the marketing way to do the inbound yeah. organic way, which is probably a lot more healthier. <laughs>
0: I, that, that's my preference. I've never bought a list in my life. Um, but you know what? Sometimes, again, everyone with their skill set, right? So I've had clients where we're obtaining lists and sending out a mailing or even doing an email blast really is the most effective way for them. Yeah. You know, and and even the, with my whole mantra of like you know more money less headache and never waste money on marketing again, which is kind of the the promise of my program, it's not a waste if you do it strategically. So like you know for example like and just we're talking about list buying, if you sell something that's a minimum of a hundred dollars, and you know that this is exactly your list of leads, and that the likelihood that at least one person will convert, then you can pay a hundred dollars for it pretty safely. Yeah. And and that's kind of the way you have to go with these things. So this is very cool. So how big did this company get?
1: Do you see details? So funny enough, you know, it was about two year, two years in, two years in, um, we were very profitable, and I had to make the decision. A was pay the, the government of Canada a lot of taxes and money, or B start something new. So what we did was we went to our clients and we said, listen- Wait,
0: why, why two-year mark do we pay the government? Are there like certain Canadian rules you have up to two years not to pay taxes? Well I'm- no.
1: It, it, we started becoming very profitable after two years. Let's just say that. So we, okay. we started making money where we'd have to pay a lot in taxes. And um, then why
0: would you shut it down and do something new then?
1: We never shut it down. It still runs. Okay. So, we okay. run it, so it actually runs with the new company. So the idea for the second company, AutoClose, came from the first company. As people would say, Sean, we love your data, but now- how do we email people? That was so gonna be have- my
0: next question is what are the best ways to use this information and you're already answering it. And that's intuitive. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. People come with the data and then they're like, okay, I got names and numbers. What do I send them?
1: So you said it. So that's why we built the second platform, which has the first database inside the platform. So therefore now with auto close, you can build out an email sequence or a marketing sequence even. And you could go in, build a campaign, search through our database, use our data, and email them from one place. So instead of having your data provider and your marketing or sales engagement tool, we put that all in. So they both kind of run parallel with each other and Exchange Leads is actually the data that funnels AutoClose.
0: Very cool. And how does that help you from the tax liability?
1: Well, just because instead of paying the taxes, we basically had research and development and built a second tool. So it was an expense gotcha. now to, to build it's another tool as an, an expense.
0: <laughs> Understood.
1: Had to this be strategic. Like, yeah. You know what? I think
0: a lot of people don't understand that. And that is a big piece of business. And that's you know where your finance background probably comes into play so strongly. Part of making money is understanding that it's not linear. <laughs> it's not like um, there are understanding money is understanding governments and legalities and the rules and all the stuff that goes with that. And the people who really make it big are the ones who do. Again, fully legal business structures that of course. limit their tax liabilities. Otherwise you sit and you just, you know, one of the best things in this is, we were just talking about sitting in the last episode, my last guest last week, Um, we were talking um, rich dad, poor dad. Yep. Ever read that? So that's exactly like the stuff he talks about. Like most people like they earn money, and then they pay taxes, and then they have some left over for themselves, right? And as a business owner, you earn money, deduct all your expenses, and then pay taxes if there's anything left.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's funny. It's, you know, a lesson for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Like, you know, you if you have, for example, you know, in your first year, you're always trying to grow when you start your business. So if you have a profit of 20000 you know, especially here in Toronto, I don't know what the taxes might be, but wherever you are, but, you know, if you're paying 30 40% taxes, like, why not spend that 20000 on marketing, for example? Spend that 20000 on marketing, break even for the year, because you're going to be paying eight of that 20000 to the government anyway. So now you're really only paying 12000 for that extra marketing. So having that finance background and, and trying to really grow your company, you know, you, at the end of the day, you, you have to spend money to grow a company. So you got to be um, curious. So, profits are great, but at the starting, you might want to just break even.
0: So I always say you don't have to spend money to make money. You have to spend money to make more money.
1: Oh, 100%. Right
0: you could always start from nothing and you don't have to spend and you can earn and then if you want to scale scaling without spending is tough
1: oh it's it's gray hairs and wrinkles (laughs) (laughs) you can't see it but yes that's what it happens yeah exactly (laughs) i agree with you
0: hey guys thank you so much for listening to part one of this episode stay tuned for part two going live thursday and of course subscribe. You do not want to miss this. You've been listening to the Business Breakthrough Podcast with Esti Rand. If you're looking for a breakthrough in your business, reach out at sdrand.com slash breakthrough to be a guest on the show. Everyone's got a business struggle. What's yours?